Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Happy Easter. It's great to be with y'all here this morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass, the pastor of our contemporary service at Kingwood Methodist and the Pastor of Discipleship. Great to be with y'all here in the park on a lovely Houston humid day. Uh, We celebrate the resurrection of Christ uh, the way that Texas people do with 95% humidity. Uh, And we're going to join, before we get started with the message, we're going to join in the Easter proclamation that our brothers and sisters are proclaiming across the world Uh, in huddled masses, in bunkers in Ukraine, in villages in Africa, in house churches in China, and in villages in South America. We are going to proclaim the, the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. This is a proclamation that the church has been doing since the very first Easter 2,000 years ago when Simon Peter goes to the empty tomb and says, He is risen indeed. So I'm going to say, He is risen, and y'all respond, He is risen indeed. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise be to God. So let's hear the good news of the gospel this morning from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you now into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you these things. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them, and he said, greetings. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go to Galilee, and they will see me. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the most important moment in all of human history. Most important moment in all of the Christian faith because if this event that we celebrate here today did not happen, then all of us are fools for gathering here at the park on this day. Because if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, then as Paul says, we are still dead in our sins. And this uh, Lenten time at Kingwood Methodist, we've been looking at how God calls us to be a people of prayer. And today we look at who is it that we direct our prayers towards. We direct our prayers to this man named Jesus, this risen King. We set our eyes upon him. We set our eyes to a real person, 
a real person grounded in the fullness of dirt and human history who died on a Roman cross, a means of execution in the Roman Empire, was laid in a tomb. And then on the third day, today, Easter Sunday, he miraculously rose from the dead. And Christian prayer, Christian life, the Christian faith is centered around this man who died and yet lives forevermore. So why does the resurrection matter? Why is it important that Jesus was risen from the dead? What does it mean for us today? The first thing is that the resurrection means that Jesus Christ has conquered death. The resurrection means that Jesus Christ has conquered death. The fundamental problem that we all face as humans is that one day we all will die. We all have this problem of death, that we lose loved ones to death. Our accomplishments and achievements, all that we strive to work on here on earth, seem to be undone by death. That the wealth that we accumulate here on earth, they stay here in the ground and it can't take, we can't take it with us when we die. That there's this great fog of death that's hanging over every single one of us. The saying is, the only thing that's guaranteed in life is death and taxes. The only thing that's guaranteed is that one day our time here on earth will end, that our time here is limited. And we invest billions as a society into a healthcare industry with the sole purpose of prolonging human life as far as we can, and yet ultimately, no matter our best efforts, our best medicine, our best technology, we can't solve the problem of death. We try to prolong life, but we do not have power over death. Sandra Richter in her book, Epic of Eden, says this about death. She says that in all of human history, all we've known is death. And yet, despite that that being a fundamental reality of what it means to be human, there's something deep inside of our soul that knows that there's something deeply and profoundly wrong about death, that that's not the way that it should be. Death is one of the most natural things to be human, and yet it feels profoundly unnatural. And so when we celebrate a risen Christ, we are celebrating Jesus who has conquered death. At the resurrection of Jesus, he is the first person in all of human history who death does not conquer, but rather he is the one who conquers death. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with his death and crucifixion on the cross, that his life and ministry, all that he did, all the works that he did, are validated in light of the resurrection. That if Jesus did not raise from the dead, all the other stuff that he did in his life would be absolutely meaningless. And yet Jesus did rise from the dead. That the God-man, the Son of God, flesh of humanity, has conquered death. One of the church fathers that I was reading this week, he said, that Jesus and the resurrection, that this moment in human history is the radiant sun that shines backwards into human history, giving meaning 
to all of history, pre-resurrection, and radiant beams that shine forward into humanity's future, giving purpose and meaning to all that happens after the death of Christ, that this event gives meaning and purpose to everything because suddenly the great problem that we all face no longer has reign and power and authority over us because of Jesus Christ. And the women go to the tomb on an Easter morning, on a sunrise like this. That's why we do a sunrise service because as the sun was coming up early in the morning, the women go to a tomb, but they are not going expecting anything profound to happen. They're going to mourn and weep over their teacher who had died a few days earlier. And if there's one thing that they knew about dead people is that they stay dead. There's no coming back from death. And they go and Matthew's gospel recounts this miraculous event that the women go to the tomb and an angel from heaven descends upon from high and there's this massive earthquake. It's this great miraculous scene where this angel rolls back this probably two ton stone from the tomb in front of the Roman soldiers who were stationed there to prevent people like Mary from going and stealing Jesus's body, but yet an angel descends from on high, rolls back the tomb, only to see that Jesus is not in the grave anymore. There is no body there. And in Luke's gospel, the angel says to the woman, why do you seek the living among the dead? That the women go to the tomb expecting to find a dead Jesus, but instead they encounter the good news that he is alive. And the angel says, go and tell this good news to my brothers. Go and tell them to the disciples. Jesus and the angels send the women to go and proclaim the gospel that the women are the first preachers of the gospel in scripture. In Acts chapter 24, or Acts chapter, Acts 2, verse 24. This is Peter's Pentecost sermon. He says this about the resurrection of our Lord, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That on Easter, we celebrate that death cannot conquer the God of life that the God of life is the one that we worship and the God that we serve. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this in his letters, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, for he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The hope of the resurrection means that death has been defeated. That for those of us who follow Christ, we no longer have to fear humanity's greatest enemy. We no longer have to be in bondage to sin anymore. That we no longer have to be afraid anymore. Because our greatest fear has been conquered by the cross of Christ and his resurrection. And that the power of sin that leads to death is broken over our lives. That these addictions that keep us in chains, 
that we use to cover our brokenness and cover our hurts, we can find freedom and healing in Jesus because of the resurrection. That through the resurrection that Jesus comes to overcome our greed, our desire for more and more, and we find true, full life satisfaction in Him. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. That our striving achievement, our striving to prove ourselves, our striving to make something of our lives here on earth, that in the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have to strive any longer because we know that our life continues forevermore, that we are people of victory, that we are people who participate in the victory of Christ because of the resurrection because of what Christ has done for us. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, a pastor friend of mine, uh, my dad's a pastor, so it was one of his really close friends, um, a man named Rusty Watkins. He was preparing to preach on an Easter sunrise service just like this. And about 30 minutes before the service, he collapsed of a heart attack. And he ended up dying in a hospital on Easter morning. This was uh, the first person that I knew growing up who had died. And there's sort of a, a kind of a reckoning of your own mortality that you have when someone close to you that you know of dies. But Rusty died on Easter. And I remember I was in the church choir when I found out the news. And we were on the, I think the third or second stanza of Christ the Lord is Risen Today, the first song that we sang today. Where, O death, is thy sting? the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has taken away the sting of death, that we still feel the grief and the hurt and the loss, but the sting, the sense of finality that comes with death is no longer reigning over us. It no longer reigns over Rusty, who is alive with Christ forevermore because the sting and the power of death has been overcome, that Christ came to rescue us from all of that. In, uh, in the days of the scripture, in the Greek times or Roman times, they thought eternal life, how you had eternal life, was you had the things that you accomplished in this life would be what would live beyond you. That there wasn't this sort of sense of an eternal paradise that you would go to, but rather what you accomplished here on earth, that your deeds and your accomplishments, that is what would live beyond you. And those stories that they would tell us, so like Homer's Odyssey and the Iliad, those are stories of great heroes and their accomplishments. And that was sort of their eternal life. That's what lived beyond them, their achievements and deeds. And so oftentimes that that's how they lived thousands of years ago, but I think that's so often how we live our lives today. 
that we are striving to make something of ourselves. We're striving for fame, for wealth, achievement, striving for something to live beyond us. That we're striving so hard for worldly things when Christ in his resurrection tells us to fix our eyes on eternal things. Things that will have eternal significance and eternal consequence. Things like pouring our faith and prayer and pouring out our life in prayer, pouring out our faith for those in our lives, for our kids, for our children, for passing on this faith down to them. Instead of hoarding up our wealth and hoarding up our money to save it for a rainy day, to be generous, to care and love for the poor, for those who have nothing. To strive for holiness, to strive for godliness, for striving to become like this Jesus who conquered the grave and shows us a better way to live. That the promise and the hope of resurrection is not just a wait till we die and we get to heaven, but it's a promise of a change in life here and now for adopting the life and the lifestyle of Jesus. Because the resurrection means that Jesus Christ has given us new life. The resurrection means Jesus Christ has given us new life, that it's not simply Jesus coming and conquering death, but it's Jesus coming to give us something new, that Jesus rescues us from sin and death and rescues us for new life. That sin breaks our relationship with God. But yet through the resurrection, our communion with God is restored and God himself is our great prize. As St. Augustine said, that our hearts are restless until they find our rest in thee, O Lord. That Christ, the Lord God, is our prize. He is the one who makes our soul sing, our feet dance, the source of our joy and the true desire of our heart. That in Easter and the resurrection, we hear the proclamation that we are his. We are beloved and we are in communion with him forever. And that gets to start now. That gets to start now. And the women on the tomb experience this on Easter Sunday. See, what's cool for Jesus is it wasn't enough for, to simply have the angel tell them the good news. Jesus wanted to tell them himself. Jesus, as the women are going away from the tomb, it says that they encounter Jesus. And he says, greetings. Uh, that's basically just a very common way for them to greet one another. It'd be as if Jesus walks up to these women and says, hey, how y'all doing? Just a very common, and it's so profoundly ordinary, so profoundly relational, that Jesus in his resurrected body goes and talks with these women like they're his friends, because they are his friends. It's so normal. It's so relational. It's so much like how Jesus lived his life. Giving your life to Jesus, giving your life to Christ means that we, through his resurrection, are no longer alienated from God, but get to become friends with God, intimacy with God. And we get to tell him our fears, our worries, our concerns, and we get to celebrate with him with the highs of life, and we get to experience 
the fulfillment of our souls that we didn't know we were longing for when we give ourselves to Jesus. And Jesus tells the women, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. The 11, the ones who days earlier had abandoned him, had betrayed him, had forsaken him, who had done literally everything wrong the past few days. And yet Jesus still calls them brothers. And Jesus still says that to you as well. Friends, hear this. If you don't take anything else away from today, hear this. You are loved by God. You are cherished by God. You're not loved because of any accomplishments you make. You're not loved by God because of how successful your business is or how much money you make or how high your grades are. You are loved by God simply because he made you. And because he made you with such intention and care, he does not want to see you living life, striving, living life trying to prove yourself to him. But you are loved, you are cherished, you are adored by God. And to prove his love for us, he sent his son to rescue you so that we don't have to be a people who are striving anymore. Uh, Bob Goff, one of my favorite Christian writers, he said, uh, God has your picture on his fridge. That that's how much God loves you and he's so proud of you and he loves to show you off to his angels. This, uh, this past Maundy Thursday, at our Maundy Thursday service, we were celebrating Holy Communion, and we were at a table, and there was a, a kid from one of our children's ministry, and he was the one passing out bread to our table, um, and he gave me a very, very large piece of bread, probably about the size of my hand. Um, it would take me a few bites for me to eat it, and I remember thinking when I got it, uh, this is a lot of bread. This is going to take me a few bites for me to eat this. And I remember right when I had that thought, I heard the Lord say to me, Jeremy, this is how much I want to give myself to you. But often you think I just want to give just a tiny little piece of myself to you. I just want to give just a little bit of myself to you. But this, this is how much I want to give to you an overwhelming abundance of myself, a massive piece of bread that you can barely fit in your mouth. And that's how often we treat Jesus as we think he's just gonna give us, oh, a tiny little piece of himself, just a tiny bit of grace, a tiny bit of blessing, a tiny bit of goodness. When the Lord wants to pour out abundance because he is a generous God. He wants to show us the extravagance of his love for us and give us the generosity of all of himself, that that is what new life in Christ is like, that we can find true purpose, eternal purpose, that we can be free from the bondages of sin, that addictions like alcoholism, pornography don't have to reign in our lives anymore, but we can be free to live a holy life because a holy life is a happy life because a holy life mimics God who is eternally happy. That we can have communion with God. We can have fellowship with the one who knows our deepest fears and who pours out his love for us into our hearts. We can have joy that transcends any circumstance. That we can adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. 
a lifestyle that's unhurried, patient, happy, a lifestyle that's so countercultural to the one we find ourselves living in. I saw a quote some time ago. It said, we often talk about what happens when you fail. Where is the Lord in that? But he said, the other side of the coin is what happens when you reach the top, when you reach all that you've been striving for in this world and you find that it doesn't satisfy you. Where is God in that? I think it's because the things that we strive in this world can never truly satisfy us. Only Jesus can. John Wesley, when he talks about what it means to accept Christ, he says that when the person accepts Christ, he says, and now it must be properly said that he truly starts to live. That the moment we accept Christ is when we start to live. That the resurrection is not simply about a ticket to paradise. That salvation can start now. It can start today. And it can start today with you too. That this Jesus who greets the women at the empty tomb, this Jesus who wipes away all of our sins, this Jesus who calls us friends, that he is the one who is in our midst today. And he wants to be your God and your king and your friend. So I'd invite the communion stewards up and the band back up. But friends, ultimately, this this life with Jesus, this life with God, it starts with a choice. That God has already chosen you. God has already poured out his love for you. That God is always striving and reaching out to you. And God is standing here with his arms wide open, desiring to pour his love and spirit into your soul. So friends, if you don't know Christ, if you're not in relationship with Christ and you want to experience this freedom from the fear of death, if you want to get rid of this old life and experience new life in Christ and simply just take a moment and pray and just offer your life to Jesus. Prayer is just simply talking with God. Just say a prayer, Lord, I want that. Lord, I want you. Lord, I want to be free from this. Lord, I want this new life. Look into the empty tomb and know that Christ has died and rose again so that you may live. We're about to take Holy Communion. If you want someone to pray with, I'll be up here at the front. But just talk to the God who gives us life, to the one who has conquered death and set us free for the newness of life. As we celebrate Holy Communion now together, This is not a Methodist table. This is Christ's table. And Christ invites all to his table, those who have earnestly repented their sins and have accepted him. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, come and transform us today. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us today. Lord, come and do a new thing among us. Lord, bring revival and transformation and awakening to this community so that we can proclaim the goodness of the one who has conquered death and has set us free. Come and do all these things, Lord, because you're too good not to. As we say the prayer that your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, friends, now we're going to take communion. Uh, like I said, this is not a Methodist table, this is Christ's table. Uh, we're going to do intinction style, which is you'll, they'll get a piece of bread, and then you'll dip it in the cup, and then uh, you'll eat it. Uh, we'll have four different stations. We'll have two up at the front, and then we'll have two in the back at our welcome table. If you uh, have a gluten allergy or are gluten intolerant, uh, we'll have gluten-free all-in-ones up at the front. Um, but friends, the table is set. Would you come and taste and see that the Lord is good? Mm-hmm.